Hello and welcome to the Forward Unto Dawn podcast, the show focused on the fiction of the Halo universe. I am David Fuchs, aka Dangerous Dave, and I am joined by my usual cohorts, Danny. Who's that? And Isaac. Yep. <laughs> um, the discussion for today is uh, the book Mortal Dictata, the final installment in the Kilo 5 trilogy penned by Karen Travis. Uh, we talked about the previous books in the series back in 2011 with episode 2 and in October 2012 with episode 8. And Isaac and I also talked about Glasslands recently on Podtacular back in October on episode 396. So if you want to catch up on our thoughts on the series, um, there's hours of content available. Uh, you can find all those podcasts, episodes, and more in the show notes at forwarduntodon.com slash fudcast13. But that was the past, and this is now. Um, so I guess to start off before we go dig into spoilers and specific thoughts about the book... What are your guys' general thoughts? Hells is worse than the Nazis. And everything that's evil, as a matter of fact. She's that bad. Well, I, I think on a, on a slightly serious note, um, there had been a lot of that in the past books, and I think, um, you know, with a little more time to recognize how the fans were responding to her writing, Travis could have uh, corrected a lot of those things that weren't received as positively in this book. So that was I kind of went into it seeing if there would be any changes uh, in that realm. I'm glad she stuck to her guns because she's a professional writer and she writes what she's told to write. And that's what she did. She didn't go off in some kind of weird personal bent of inserting her own story into this. She's done what she was supposed to do. I mean, as, good the writer. Humans, as the humans say, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. Well, if it's broken and you want to fix them, go to her, go to her overlords, her paymasters extraordinaire, the people who are paying her to write the story that they want written. If you want to criticize anyone for the, the overarching story and all the Halsey attachments, it's not her you want to go to. Really? Ignoring the, the issue of Halsey. Thoughts? Keep it general. Loved it actually. I thought it was interesting to get some resolution on a storyline that was started two books ago and then was barely touched because the other books seemed to prepossess and digging up and carrying other tat for the Halo universe rather than carrying on their own characters. Book one and book two of the Halo 5 trilogy were basically vehicles for other purposes. And it's finally in this book that we got to see the book. And the characters allowed to be themselves and explored properly. And uh, it, it does that, and it does it very well. Yep, it was a great book. And I really, my favorite part was actually kind of getting to explore the, uh, the Kigyard culture a little bit more. Um, I heard some complaints from people that they didn't like how it was handled, but I honestly don't see where that's coming from because I thought those sections were all fantastic, other than not having much payoff in the end. That was a. That was a surprise for me. I remember reading through and thinking, fuck, this is, this is actually rather different and interesting. It's not just more uh, samurai elites and, you know, I mean, this is actually an interesting perspective that we rarely get to see. And we get to see this whole skirmisher, uh, yig card dynamic going on. And, like, that really felt fleshed out and a lot more interesting 
than whatever they, they presented in Reach for their flimsy explanations for why they exist. Like, I enjoyed that. It, it added to the story. The fact that those perspectives themselves are offered and presented to the reader, and are, they hold up pretty well for what they do, that's an achievement in itself. I will say one thing. I, uh, I really would like 343 to put out any sort of visual uh, representation of a jackal speaking English, because I do not get how it works. <laughs> but uh, I think right now we're, we've got a fill of perspectives from the Covenant, or is there anything else out there that you would want to see from? Uh, frankly, I think seeing some of the drone society, especially when the queens are involved, would be really cool. And I don't think it would read very well on, on paper, but uh, yeah. seeing the let Golo colonies would be awesome. Seeing them, yeah, but perspectives, I don't think they would have one. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't really think you could write about that, but it's something that definitely needs to be explored a lot more than it has been already. There's, a lot, there's still a lot of mystery in that society in the Halo universe. See, I'm actually really glad that we got to see the Yigkar, because if you think about uh, the setting, like the, the Yigkar have had this, this, this so-called um, history of being pirates, Starfaring pirates as well before the Covenant, apparently, before they joined the Covenant. So they have this, like, history of, of being something, and we never get to see that until now, really. I think this was a long time coming, and she didn't drop the ball in any way, really. I've been kind of picturing uh, what the Kigyar Society has been like for... Since, since I first found out that they were pirates, I don't remember when that was first mentioned, but uh, I just had this image of them kind of, uh, kind of putting these scrapped-together ships... You know, functional in only a practical sense and not in a visual sense. And, and she kind of stuck with the vision that I've had in my head of their society. Like nothing that she explored deviated from that in any way, which was really cool for me personally, because it's like I was picturing their society the way that it actually was. Yeah. Also, Danny, it's Kigyar, not Kigkar. Tongue tied. Shut up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking. Ultimately, I was like trying to come up with a thesis for not only this book, and I guess we'll talk more about the series as a whole. But to me, it's sort of this felt like the book that Travis was trying to write from the get go. Like Danny said, that we got all this, we had to tie up Ghosts of Onyx, I assume, because they didn't want to have Halsey just show up in Spartan Ops. And then we had to have the elite civil war so we could figure out how Jewel showed up. But this one really focuses on Kilo 5 specifically. We also needed ham-fisted foreshadowing of Didact because that was absolutely necessary. None of the Halo 4 material before that was hinting towards him coming at all. So I'm glad that they put that in the book, you know, just for us fans. <laughs> yes, precisely. I do think... Um... It was definitely noticeable that, that Halsey and Blue Team were, were absent from this story, though. Those are characters that a lot of the fans have really kind of latched onto for one reason or another. And, and even though we're being told that uh, Halsey isn't someone we should be looking up to in uh, so many subtle words, it's still a character that I really like hearing about and reading about, whether she's a good character or a bad character, whatever, doesn't matter. She's, she's someone whose presence in the novels I've always enjoyed. You've had, we've had like this whole underlying Halo storyline that's been going since literally the fall of Reach, since before the first Halo game came out, and they decided to continue with those characters. And the Kilo 5 trilogy kind of jumped in and took that place and then eliminated some of the major players, or at least 
uh, you know, delegated them to the sidelines, which it's, uh, it's interesting to get used to. And I think what's going to be most interesting after this is seeing how they uh, handle that going forward, whether Blue Team and Halsey are going to be more prevalent in the games from now on and the, there will be other characters in the main storyline or if they're just kind of done with that thread. Halsey will be. Blue Team? <laughs> End, I think. But do we want to just start digging into the story blow by blow? Go right ahead. Alright, so... Yeah, I think spoilers are going to slip out eventually. Yeah. Right? So this is spoilers ahoy. We're just going to kind of blow through it and, and comment where relevant. So it starts off with flashbacks. Because nothing is better than a flashback. And and Travis, I mean, at least from the Kilo 5 trilogy, likes doing, I guess, flavor chapters that don't relate, or I shouldn't say don't relate, but don't tie into the style of the rest of the book. So here... She focuses on um, the uh, Stefan uh, Stensky. I don't. I, I pronounced it Stensky, but I don't know. Stensky, that might be it. The man with the worst luck ever, and <laughs> as uh, his kid Naomi gets abducted and then comes back, but different. Something's not right. I was thinking that. I mean, we've we've always heard about the clones, and I mean, aside from basically all we ever got was. Hey, we're gonna collect these clones and then the fall of reach. Hey, we've got we've got kidnapped all the children and they're just like, What's going on? And then we got in uh the Halo four uh Ridley Scott commercial or whatever, we got a scene of them sort of just swapping a sleeping John. So from what we learn about sort of the abduction process in this book, they really got the worst of the clone stories possible. <laughs> it was not exactly subtle. They have issues, as we find out, um, abducting her, and they kind of replace uh, Naomi with a really confused clone who doesn't know what's going on either. So it's not a really clean snatch and grab, as I guess I assumed that they were uh, reading before this book. We expect them to be more precise up by a team of trained, only professional child thieves or what? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I always kind of thought the abduction process was even more subtle than it's been shown at this point. The, uh, the immediate image that jumps to mind when you, when you hear the term abduction is like, you know, shadowy figures hiding in alleyways ready to just jump out and grab kids. And I never thought that that was exactly what would be happening. Um, I thought it was a little more subtle. But then we've, we've seen all these different portrayals where the Oni like, operatives are literally walking into the houses and taking the kids in their arms, like literally carrying them away. Um, and then we also saw in the book that there's a lot of different situations based on the environment that the kids were found in, especially in the case of Osman. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Not everyone has a perfect, you know, family, mother, father, everyone happy, everyone going to work, nice little regime, you know, sleep up in a retitled bed. That makes sense. You know, we're not all perfect. We don't have the little, you know, proper nuclear family and nuclear flipping schedules. You know what I mean? That I like how it's exposed that way. But it was a nice little shade, and from from the abduction flashback, we get to. Uh, the the modern Stefan who is dwelling on it's safe to say that he's dwelling on the abduction just a little bit oh, um, as he he builds this dollhouse for his granddaughter he's thinking of the daughter he lost and he ends up uh, going out to meet uh, the skirmisher Fell who has a covenant warship to sell specifically the pious Inquisitor 
um, which we did we hear about that in, originally in Glasslands? Popped up first in Halo Three multiplayer. Well, yeah, it, it's it, for people who don't know the Pious Inquisitor, and they they specifically mention it with a little turn of phrase when uh, uh, they're going to visit the ship and they end up in midships, which I thought was a nice little touch. But it's the setting for the the Halo Three multiplayer uh, remake of Midship Heretic. And we learn in the Kilo 5 trilogy before this that it's a, it's one of these ships that gets taken over by brutes. Um, they The elites take it back and use it to glass Voy when they're trying to stop the flood. And it ends up in the hands of skirmishers. And Stefan wants it because somehow he's going to use that to find out what happened to his daughter. By, what, hanging over Australia and screaming at the United States, they tell him what he wants to hear, or he will blast him? Like... Well, it's it's not a great plan, but <laughs> to be fair to him, he realizes it's not a great plan, and there's never any real clear indication what he's going to do with it, besides the fact that he knows that this is a great piece of leverage. The and... thing is, like this character and his motivations just don't make any sense. Alright, you're thinking about it, right? He, he wants revenge, that's that's the bent of him becoming a bad guy, you know? He wants answers more than anything. So, to get answers, he's going to do crime. He's going to s- steal weapons and be an underground evil terrorist arms trader. Like, what, in what position? With the unlikely chance of acquiring a ship, by the way, like this, was he ever going to be in a position to get anything he wants? I mean, he, he would be obsessed with this, this, this daughter that no one believes him. Everyone thinks he's nuts. And just collecting weapons and collecting ships and maybe giving them to the self-defense force for the insurrectionists. But really, it's, it's, that makes no sense. You know, I mean, if you want to get answers and you're trying to do something, you, obviously you fight against the system and all this. You, know, you might become an insurrectionist. Yeah, I, I can buy all that. I just can't buy into him being an, an arms dealer for some specific reason, and his son being well into that as well. And just... He did find himself on Tunisia, which is that's kind of how everyone makes a living on that planet. I just didn't like the setup. I didn't like the character. I thought, even at the start, when he yammering on, I thought it was in- actually not. To be fair, this whole start with the dollhouse and, and the abduction, I thought this is actually rather interesting. It's more human, it's more grounded than Halo usually is, you know? Halo's usually about the grand set pieces of alien technology and the hard sci-fi and the pew-pew and the fighting and the guns. And all of a sudden we get this real human drama of this guy's just emotions and this abduction of a child, which, to be fair, could be played out on any, any novel in modern fiction, you know what I mean? Didn't have to be sci-fi. Didn't have to be Halo. So I thought, no, oh, they're taking a real ground approach to this. That lasts all five seconds. Well, I think it was good to finally see. I think it's an aspect of the fiction that has needed exploring for a long time. I've like. I agree. I definitely I've agree. seen stories myself exploring the perspective of the Flash clones. Like, what is it like to be a person who has these memories that aren't their own, and they just start decaying suddenly? It's it's a really interesting perspective because that is a living being that is being Have used. Have any of them survived? They always go on about the low survival rates, but what? How any of them survived? Uh, there was the one in wow, I'm blanking on the name. The Halo Legends episode, Homecoming. Homecoming, yeah, where the the family is, I guess, wealthier and is able to afford some medical treatment that keeps the clone alive longer. Oh, it didn't last. Oh, I, I blocked out of my head. That was like, oh, good. Actually, I just have one quick thing to say on the um, 
abduction story. Did it bother either of you guys that they were using phones? Like, just contemporary, regular old phones? There was literally nothing in that part of the story that seemed futuristic at all. Easier to hide your, your, your presence whenever you're using older tech? I think it's just one of those things where Halo is in many ways a throwback. That They've got slip space drives, but they're also using... Like you said, phones, they're firing guns with regular little bullets. Yeah, but in ODST, we had it established that at least a large portion of the population uses chatters. Which, I mean, functionally, it's a phone, but they don't refer to it as a phone anymore. I think that's also just style-wise what the authors are comfortable with. Like, whatever, I mean, and it's it's also just what gets termed a phone in the 26th century as opposed to what we think of as phone now. It's a big galaxy, too. There's different places, different levels of tech to go with them. Yeah, yeah. I did like how they uh, talked about how some of the colonies actually had to go out and use outdated tech just to keep things running. Like the circuit board for the part of the story comes where they're putting BB into the circuit board. The communications relay is it. And it's like really ancient. And they comment on that. It's like it should be long in a, in a museum. Yeah, so that was... It was... Uh... She understood at that point that she was using outdated technology. But I think the thing is she writes as if it's a contemporary story and then inserts the sci-fi stuff as she goes. Uh, and sometimes it kind of breezes over some of the elements that should have been caught. It is something that stands out, though. She's mentioned in a lot of her interviews that that's how she writes. She writes as if there's no um, defined place or time. You just swap out the technology, and that changes the setting. So... Well, most of this, well, most of it. The start of the of the story is pretty down to earth, anyway. Sure. Continuing on, we get um, Stency uh, buys, agrees to buy the ship, and Fell throws in an engineer. She definitely, Travis definitely likes the engineer, and, and this one um, sometimes sinks, or sinks sometimes, I should say, uh, plays an interesting role um, in fleshing out the engineers even more. Um, one thing I thought that was really interesting because it came up twice in the book and sort of led me to some questions was that um fell the quote specifically is the covenant forbade construction of ais uh not that they didn't try to make use of human ones they captured which later on they mentioned specifically that there's a dumb ai on the ship which seems odd and especially since we've got um there's the the AI that we never really learned much about on the Ascendant Justice, and then there's the AI on the Truth and Reconciliation we learn about in CEA. So I'm not sure what they're going on with that. It seems like there's an aspect of Covenant history that's missing there as to specifically why it was prohibited. Um, I mean, I thought I would think that some of it might just have to do with the whole mendicant bias thing. That was my thought. Yeah, and that was kind of also the idea that the Covenant necessarily aren't... I mean, we were all talking about... Um, when was the Terminals? I mean, that was way back in like episode one, I think, of the podcast. We talked about it where we were speculating that maybe the Truth and Reconciliation AI was a corrupted version of a Forerunner AI, which is why it was yeah. so vengeful, for lack of a better word. So it might be that they just don't have the technology to do anything more than make terrible, terrible, terrible knockoff copies of... Yeah, and the, the dumb AI is maybe even more dumb than the dumb AIs the uh, humans have. It was just something that interesting came up. 
Do you know what? I actually wouldn't be surprised. I think there's plenty of room there for a future exploration of that particular area because in my mind, what I think would have happened there is that the, the prophets would have realized very quickly that allowing AI within the covenant would be a very bad thing. Very bad thing for them in terms of control, especially information control. AIs are notorious in terms of learning. They are information, you know what I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised if they, at some point in the Covenant's history, sabotaged the whole AI movement, nipped it in the bud quietly, so that the end result was just this dumb, dumb AI that we see now with the Covenant. And because we know the Covenant doesn't really progress much technologically after they initially absorb a technology, it explains why dumb tech, the dumb AI software we've been stuck around with for a very long time as well. Yeah, it definitely feels like there's a, a kind of a different thread going on. Because every time it's mentioned, they make sure that you know that there's something strange about it. Yeah. And they also, um, I guess, tying into supporting Danny's theories that the fact that engineers did diddly squat for a really long time. Like, they they were cool and they repaired stuff. And, hey, they took apart a car. But now they're, like, adding as we'll get to later, slip space drives to spirits and making increasingly better tasting coffee. And and smooth cake. Oh yeah, and and smooth cake, which uh, we'll get to later. So it, it could just be that the profits were keeping a lid on a lot of stuff because they wanted to be top dogs. Like imagine, if you think about it, right, the Covenant had access to the engineers for centuries, at least, if not millennia. When was, do, do we have concrete uh, info when when the engineers were integrated into the Covenant officially? Is there any records like that? I don't want to say that we do off the top of my head. I don't know where it was said. Is that they found them in Forerunner uh, yeah. relics, and that was it. Yeah. Well, even if you only had a couple hundred years with these gas bags, look at what we've done with them in a few years. Like, why Why didn't they abuse the living shit out of these gas bags to make everything is as advanced as humanly possible because they constantly make things better, do they not? We, I remember when we were talking about Glasslands, how at least I was concerned that giving them a whole bunch of engineers was essentially like making the UNSC too powerful. They specifically mention here they've limited the the use of the engineers partly because they don't leave blueprints and they can make something, but then you've got to replicate it and figure out how it works. So they're not, they're not, they're great for making stuff when you need it, but you can't really mass produce stuff in the same way. See, that's called, that's, that's just silly in a way. Here, engineer, make a, make a plasma energy device. Okay. There you go. Okay. Engineer, make a machine that makes them. There you go. Problem solved. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Danny's, Danny's. Danny's answer to the the engineer paradox. I guess the the uh, the prophets never thought of that one either. I'm just saying, like it, it makes sense. Give them enough resources to make something that makes what you want. You know what I mean? It's and in, in the end, I think the engineers are sort of a whoops in the Halo universe. They are too powerful. They're too OP. Let's just it, leave it, a few of them left. You I know, think in the Fall of Reach, they were never <clears throat> established as these characters or creatures that could make anything. They just repaired stuff. You only saw them on Cote d'Azur, or mm-hmm. however you Took apart pronounce car, it. Put it back yeah. together, so you knew they were technologically very capable as engineers. But in terms of like devising new stuff to come up with, that wasn't really established until later in the fiction. 
Yeah. It's also, I'm not sure how much of their, their brief appearance in the fall of reach was just supposed to introduce them for the game, but obviously they got cut out of combat evolved. Didn't they really only start to get explored in first strike? Well, yeah, because that the the ascendant justice was once again they never explained why that one was filled with more engineers than other ships. But I mean, they were originally going to be going to be running around all across Halo as more of that ambient wildlife, and you were supposed to feel bad like you killed puppies if you shot at them. I think that's actually a quote from someone. <laughs> Didn't they do that well enough in ODST then? Finally, bring them into the fold. Yeah, yeah. ODST was great for the engineers. Like I thought, I thought that if you, any, even the casual player would play that game and say, "No, they're pretty cool things," you know. Yeah. So that's the the we get the one thread of uh, Stefan and Fell, the skirmisher, and the engineer and the pious inquisitor, and then we get um. As we talked about briefly before, we get the other Kigyar look um, with following around Chol, who's a ship mistress and sort of a galactic bounty hunter thing going on. And the mantle of, as we kind of hinted at earlier, the mantle of kind of quoting humans ridiculously uh, falls to her in this book. Oh, God, every... The humans have a saying. The humans would say... I think it was slightly more annoying in this one because it made slightly less sense than, to me at least, than um, Telcam doing it. And it also it was one of those things where you look at the saying and it's so idiomatic that it, it doesn't make any sense that the jackals would quote it because it would make no sense to them. The, the only yeah, thing, I, thing is, I feel like she could have very easily come up with like some Kigyar idioms that would have worked yeah. just as well. I think the only thing that w- w- worked... Was whenever they were they were talking about the humans talking about chicken, I thought that yeah was that perfect. that was that was I did like that. That was perfect. It suited. It was well because it was yeah. rooted in their culture. Yeah, it, it fitted. It fitted to what was. It fitted the intention of its use, but the rest of the stuff felt shoehorned and awkward and stifled wherever it was inserted. You know, it was like, God. They only keep doing this every Halo book, as the humans would say. Well, it's the the other on the on the the positive side. I mean, we definitely I really like introducing Troll because I don't know why the only I guess Staten and um, Joe Staten and uh, Travis agree that the only interesting jackals are the female ones. But it was nice to have this because, like you said, they're introducing the skirmishers and actually integrating them. A lot more, whereas in Bungie's Halo Reach, they brought them up and they were basically just new enemies to fight. Tobias Buckle explored them a little bit too in the Cole Protocol. Yeah, they were. Were they in the Cole Protocol? A little bit. What? On the there was a mining facility that was headed by a ship, a sh- ship mistress, I think. Oh, okay. Well, the Cole Protocol is forgettable. So that sounds like a passing reference rather than exploration. To be fair. There were a lot of interactions between the shipmistress and the grunts that were kind of interesting to me. The The nice thing is they've been doing it a little bit with the elites. I mean, once again, going back to the Cole Protocol, which is like the first time you got a big uh, push at the uh, sort of Bushido culture of the, the elites. And then in these last couple of books, we've gotten a bit more shading and dimension to that. I feel like this book gave us a lot more dimension to the Kigyar because we knew they were space pirates and we knew they were opportunistic but obviously they aren't all 
the same, and uh, and uh, Chol is out to saying, well, it's great that we're pirates, but it's not going to benefit us as much as having a united fleet. And I like that because, especially in science fiction, you, you usually end up with monocultures where everyone's the same. The Cardassians are space fascists, the Klingons are proud warriors, <laughs> and every single Klingon is a proud warrior, and every single Cardassian, ah, Cardassian is a fascist. And that's not realistic. To be fair, not everyone, not every Cardassian. Gargle every time I for that. Okay, one Cardassian is not a fascist. Every other one is. <laughs> but the point is that that's not... Obviously, we've got people who are communists and fascists and libertarians and everything, so it makes sense that while everyone have a common culture, that it would diverge wildly. And so I liked that Chol is out doing things that is definitely atypical for her her species, but she's still doing them because she's her own character, not just a cardboard cutout of a jackal or a skirmisher. Yeah, that's one thing that the the Halo universe has always done a relatively good job of understanding, at least once we got past the first initial, you know, establishing characters within the species. And I, what I thought was really cool was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, seeing the Kigar perspective on their own, like, ancestry and where their evolutionary paths were going. And I liked how she kind of compared the instincts that the Kigar have to collect and kind of gather resources or, I mean, they're, they're collectors because they have these bird like instincts that a lot of birds on earth also show, which is, that's cool to me because I've seen a lot of that stuff in nature documentaries and seeing it reflected in, in Halo's fiction in a scientifically based way is cool. I, I like the fact that they didn't even try. They they didn't not only did they not try and hide this, but they made it like a, a point to point out that a they like shiny things. Uh, whenever she uses her amulet, uh, in an exchange, interestingly, and the fact that like anywhere they want, whenever they want. Yeah, I was actually wondering about that. <laughs> when they first said that. I tried to picture a Kigyar homeworld, and it just was an awful image. But then later on, they go to the bar, and they describe that there's actually a latrine ditch dug outside. Yes. Oh, yeah. For the, the fancy ones, they actually have a separate latrine. Yeah. That's, I, I love that. They're, they're birds. Kind of, they're I mean, disgusting. it's weird to talk yeah. about because we're, we're talking about defecating. But from a bird culture, <laughs> it's really interesting to see that their society is like just accepting of that. Like You just walk outside, and there's the latrine. Just go. Yeah, yeah, that's inter- it was funny. It was interesting because it it does keep in with the whole bird aspect. It didn't have to do that. It didn't have to explain defecation, but it did. It didn't have to explain shiny things, but it did. Yeah. Yeah, and I like how she also talks about um, the, the different kinds of of Kigar that exist. You know, the jackals versus the skirmishers versus the Halo Four jackals. That some are more reptilian, some are more avian. That's something I've noticed across some other media uh, recently. It seems to be a very recent thing where they're like the Halo Four changes as as abrupt as they were. They're allowing for the past material to stand alongside it. They're not. I think it's pretty clear from recently, especially in this book, because of the the what you just said there is that they want people to think. Well, there's not just one species it's not just one it's, it's it's the whole thing we don't show you everything in the game because the game games can't show you everything but they all exist mm-hmm. you know what i mean I, I think that's very important uh, 
when a game and a franchise gets to Halo scale and designs do start changing, you can't just do a Halo 4 Master Chief and just pretend as if, yeah, that was his armor all along. Oh, I. Yep, you all seen it wrong all these years. Yep, you're blind. You have to acknowledge the differences between the old and the new. They have to, you have to find a way to make them coexist. And that was another thing. I mean, I, I kind of prefer consistency, but in having all these different variations, that's also something that's a little more true to life as opposed to just having every member of the species looks the same. Where, I mean, humans look remarkably different too. We all think that we look the same, but... Yeah, we have brown ones, yellow ones, pink ones. We we come in a variety of hilarious shapes and colors and sizes, you know? What's wrong with the aliens doing the same sometimes? So we've got that thread going. Um, And then, meanwhile, the Kilo 5 team, uh, they drop a... First Naomi and uh, Mal, I think. Uh, but then uh, Vaz and Mal uh, go undercover as disaffected uh, UNSC guys who just arrive in town. And I think this is a good place to point that out, that this, hands down, this book has the smallest body count of any Halo fiction I can think of, and it also has way more drinking and eating and discussion of food than any of the others, too. <laughs> it just gets brought up a lot. They're spending a lot of times in bars drinking. It's, it's just interesting. Bar foods, trying out new stuff. Clearly, Travis or the characters Travis writes do not appreciate Russian cuisine because they Russian. bang on it pretty hard. You eat that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it could be an author. I hate saying it's an author thing. But she does bring up the whole food details a lot in a couple of instances. I do like that with the Parnkovsky and with Saren. They enjoy their foods. And I think the author enjoys writing about them enjoying their food a bit. Especially ginger nuts. Mm. I keep, every time I hear about the ginger nuts, I'm like, I want to eat some ginger nut biscuits right about now. I don't know why she does it, but this, I don't know. There's another UK reference. And uh, Vaz comes from Wolverhampton. <laughs> Yeah, so can you explain explain what that means to non-UK people? It's, <laughs> it's just a wee crap city. It is literally a wee crap city in the middle of nowhere. I say middle of nowhere, I mean it's near Birmingham. Kind of a wee bit up north from London. So it would be considered the north. Not as north as Manchester. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's just a typical... Typical English time, really. There's nothing extraordinarily anything about it. But then again, I'm sure it's just like those references you see to the American towns where I say, well, so what's it's a town. And if you know off the town, you might have some more, ah, that's, that's kind of cool. But that's about it, really. I know, I know one or two fans really appreciate that, that reference because they actually come from there. It was kind of funny. But apart from that, there's not, I don't know. I think that's just, that uh, is the author, you know that? Just like the, uh, oh god, do you see Thatcher? Yes, we know, we know, we're not going to get you started on that in this podcast. Google Thatcher, Google Thatcher, Google UK perspective on Margaret Thatcher. Halo is such an international universe. Um, I mean, human space is such an international area for, for all different cultures, and it's cool to see another culture kind of explored in that way through one of the books, but at the same time, it's still so, like, heavy-handed, like, Nylons are all very gung-ho American, like you say, and then Travis's are all very, uh, I don't know, posh British tea-drinking fun times. <laughs> Ginger biscuits. 
like a balanced perspective. Like somebody who is from one culture can put that into the book, but then also reach out to other cultures and pull that in as well. Like beyond just the accented guy who yells yeah. over your radio in the game, you know, we need to more. To be than- fair, to be fair, there's there's only there's not every character in in this in this book is, is tea sipping. Like, come on, that's just. It's a bit unfair to say the book's entirely heavily handed like this. Like, there's characters and instances through the trilogy where it's a bit heavy handed. But if you're looking at this book alone, like what we're doing, I wouldn't agree that it's heavy handed. The UKisms are heavy handed in this. They're present, but not heavy handed. I just think you'd find that a majority of the characters say a lot of things that, at the very least, Americans would not say, if not. Other cultures, and then and then sometimes it comes across in just her writing too, not just character dialogue, but her writing, which you, you can only go so far to get over your where you're raised. So yeah, 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 it's it's not something that's like inexcusable. I I doesn't matter to me too much one way or another, but I think it is interesting when you look at it in the overall scope of the universe. Can I just point out, by the way, it's to the people out there who are of a certain mind. It she doesn't hate Halsey because she comes from England. Just. Just putting that out there. I know there's some one person at least probably thinks that. Halsey's from England? <laughs> I'm talking about the author. Oh, okay. okay. Alright. Yeah, I know like what I guarantee you one person's out there very bitter about the author being British and then hating Halsey because they think British people hate Halsey or something. I don't know. People out there are weird, but yeah, just putting that down, by the way. Can we can we can we talk about the elven in the room yet? Because I fear as a little la 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 dancing around this big elephant that's slapping me with its trunk. I I kind of want to dance around him anymore, you know. It's a lovely elephant, by the way. Apart from the the, the trunk arch slapping. We'll get to the litter. Fair enough. Okay. I'll just ask him. Do you want to go on it now? Because it, because we're going like we're dancing through, around it. We're going through the the whole book, the other non Halsey parts, and then we'll get to that but at the, the end. The Halsey parts are everywhere in the book. Yeah, See, but looked, they're not important to the plot. <laughs> I've looked at the book. Halsey's mentioned a fuckton according to the Kindle app. I'm sure she is. <laughs> Let's just continue on. And so we talk about um follow Miles go undercover. Um there's the, the nice little um I think it actually gets mentioned twice. The mention of them using nukes to to stop the rebellion on Far Isle, which I think was originally from Ghosts of Onyx. Little passing mention. So we get lots more time on Venezia. Which is definitely I mean, everyone thinks that the, the first shot of uh Halo 4 concept art is Venezia just partially because I think it's just an interesting place to be. Halo five, my bad. Halo five. They haven't even said if it's Halo five yet, they just said the next Halo project. Yeah, yeah the next... well their animators give that away during the other trailer league. Yes, we know, Danny, we know we know, we know. It's supposed yes. to be Halo 5. It changed their mind. But they, the they could have more than one project going at the same time, is all I'm saying. Oh, I'd be shocked if they didn't. I mean, we get great little mental images, like two jackals on a mongoose, which, for whatever reason, is really amusing to me. And I kind of wish that you could see, like, Covenant-driving human vehicles more. Don't they run on water, like, pretty much all vehicles, apparently, in the uh, Yeah, they're all, they're all hydrogen. Would you not just steal everything you could if they just ran water? Like literally, they they actually the novel the novel makes makes fun of that fact that the like warthogs can literally run on piss if you're desperate. Won't run well. <laughs> no, it was actually mentioned they they can. Yeah. That makes them so versatile and handy. You know, I mean, if you're really desperate, 
Well, they all—they also, I mean, they also sort of made fun of uh, the fact that they're running around with the same guns and stuff because they have a little line about um, how fifty-year-old rifles are as effective as ever. So that was a nice little moment. And so then we get uh, after tootling around for a while, but um, Vaz and Mal meet up with Stefan, and he takes him up to his ship, which we get the the wonderful line about describing the Covenant interiors as the kind of purple equally at home in a bishop's office and a hooker's boudoir, which is a, I, I enjoyed that line. Um, and then what was, I thought was interesting was they sort of, to ingratiate themselves with Stefan, um, they sort of sh- shoot their mouth about how they've been in ODSTs and they've breached Covenant ships before. And uh, Stefan mentions that he knows all about the Flood, which I thought was interesting. Just, yeah. we knew that the UNSC as a whole knew about the flood. So it's interesting that word of it has spread out. We don't know exactly how much they know about the flood, but they know that they were on earth and that they got stopped by the covenant. Yeah. It never has really been stated clearly how much your average person in the halo universe would know about that. And then, and then if they do know about it, how much has only been downplaying the actual threat? Do you know what was really weird? Um, because where this novel is set, um, and also because of when it's come out now. I actually got a wee bit confused when I was reading it timeline-wise. The time frame is, it's right, still right after, I think the closest time frame we get is they mention the last time that they were in uniform was like three weeks ago when they were at the Voy. So this is taking place at best in April 2553. So it's still really early days. No, I mean, this is supposed to be, this is the, the the only fiction that we're apparently getting, apparently before a new Halo release this year, apparently a, a main Halo release this year. That's the only little book we're getting. And that, what? It's set between 3 and 4? What? You know what I mean? There's like nothing going on after Halo 4. Well, we do have the comic. Apart from, like, apart from that stupid bad comic, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that lovely drawn, fantastic, wonderful piece of art, I'm pleasure to read. Uh, that's not good enough. Why, why are we not, why... This book feels like it should come out a year ago or two. Why am I reading this? It's out of sync with the comics. It's out of sync with the game. The game, Spartan Ops, and everything is way ahead of this. This is all back history. I know far much more than this book does, you know? And not just from the overall godly reader perspective that normally people have anyway. I don't know. Did that not hit error? Did no one else pick up on that at all in any kind of way? Or was it just me being weird? Yeah, well, I was wondering going into... Um... Mortal Dictata, if it was going to be maybe set later on, but then they immediately when I started asking myself that, I realized there's no way that they could finish up the plot threads. I mean, it had to be set when it was set, and I think, honestly, they just um, underestimated how much time it would take to get a trilogy out. It was originally branded as the post-Ghost of Onyx trilogy. But uh, they didn't... Uh, that wasn't communicated, but in... And anything else, like the covers, and then whenever the books did come out, I don't know. Like even like calling it the Kilo, like we're we're calling it Kilo Five trilogy now. We didn't find that out that was even called the Kilo Five trilogy until after the first book was published, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was around the same time that the first book was published when they revealed what Kilo Five was. I don't know. I think it was afterwards, but whatever. It's just well, what's, what's interesting is in the past when they wrote a novel to bridge one game and another, they just wrote one novel. Whereas this time we had, I mean, I mean it's it's just one trilogy, but 
on at the most basic level a trilogy, which is still that's three books. It takes a long time to write three books. Yeah, but this was supposed to bridge the gap between three and four because it's set in that time period. It does nothing at all to address anything post Halo Four or Spartan Ops or what the comics are leading into or the lead up to the next game. It just that's really- why I'm really really interested in seeing what they decide to do next with the novels. Yeah, it's like they just, I don't know, it just feels like it was supposed to be one book, and they stretched it into three so they, they could do what they wanted with the first two books, and then they were stuck then with the third book, which is essentially the one story they wanted to tell originally anyway. You know what I mean? It just, it, if we were given this book at that time for the first book was given, that would be it. It really so should. The too long, didn't listen version for our podcast listeners is Danny basically said, it's not fair. I, uh, that's not a fair summary of what I said. Anyway. <laughs> I agree. Circle gets the square. Going back to the plot at hand. I understand, Danny. I understand. Was there a Doctor Who reference in there? The blue box thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just checking. I don't know. We get... They, uh, so they try and... The, the initial plan is just we're going to snatch the the pious inquisitor by throwing a black box on there and he's going to take over everything. Um, but the, he's foiled by the Huragok sinks who I, I think it's interesting that he's pretty quickly put off as like the Huragok with mental issues. Um, because they're, they keep on pointing out like, why would anyone leave a perfectly valuable engineer behind? And I guess it comes down to the fact that, the brute ship he was on were just pissed off with him, <laughs> so they just stuck him in a derelict ship. But he sort of uh, cleaves to uh, Staffan because he refuses to destroy some foreigner relics. So things kind of go screwy after that, uh, where the Fel gets uh, kidnapped by uh, Chol. She arrives at Venezia, kidnaps Fel, which leads to uh, Staffan thinking that Vaz and Mal are involved. So they get captured. And then we get a nice long uh, torture scene for them, which is always fun. I need more defecating in my halo and urinating and stuff, so I'm glad it was in there. Even though technically it wasn't part of the torture, that was just extra. Thanks for that, by the way. Yeah, so, so they they mount a rescue um, from the Stanley, and we get the the nice little part of I Spy, something that begins with S. God. Where a Spartan just drops down and clocks the guy. That's their Saturday, Saturday evening action TV 8pm slot liner, one liner right there. Yeah, <laughs> it would go. It would go in the trailer. It's probably true. That that's where the, that's at the end of the of the action trailer montage because you know they have to show that there's comedy in it too. So they have the stinger where I spy something with S and then the music cuts out and then one liner. But I liked it. I don't know. A romantic comedy like you've never seen before. Big white poster and big red writing title, yeah. But they get, dictator. they get Vaz and uh and Stefan and Mal out of there though, not because before Vaz sort of blows his mouth and tells Stefan that Ashley you're not crazy and uh your daughter's alive. Ain't that cool? I didn't have to tell you this information, I just um That was where I kind of felt it the story was a little weaker because it sort of felt like they were Vaz and Mal were not getting, I don't know, enough character definition to make for seeing why it makes sense. Like, they both, like, feel, oh, man, this guy really deserves to know, but 
telling him now is like the worst opportunity possible. But they hate Halsey so much, they have to tell him. You don't hate Halsey so much that you want them to know about this secret? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense in context. I was trying to find, well, is he playing for time? Like, what's, what's the, what's the... I mean, he is, he is playing for time and he's, he's trying to save Mal, but it still comes off, I don't know, slightly too convenient for me. He's trying to save Mal, but what about whenever they meet up and they know each other's safe? So it's like, okay, fine. They, they know the kind of people who's kidnapping them. They know the kind of place they're being held. They're not, they're not in any danger. Uh, that's stupid. It doesn't make sense. I, I, I was hoping for some kind of leverage there where he might have lied to him to get him to be more paranoid or something like that so he'd make him angry, make mistakes. Well, to be, to be fair, that's what he's initially trying to do. He, he accidentally reveals that he knows more than he told him because he's trying to, uh, to drive a wedge between, uh, Stefan and his son. But he, he inadvertently reveals that he knows about the clones, which he hadn't actually told them. So that part makes sense. It just feels a little too convenient from there. And then at that point onward, Stefan's a good guy, essentially. You know, he's one of the team. Help might. Well, he 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 does. Yeah, it, it is a little awkward. They bring him. They they capture uh, uh, Stefan. They bring him aboard uh, the Stanley, uh, where everyone else is. They sort of chat a bit informally, and they they reveal. Um, uh, Naomi meets her father, and there's a little tearful. Tit and tat. We get a couple of interesting lines going on through here. Um, one is that we learn, um, uh, we get a line drop to Arthur079, who is the, I don't believe he shows up anywhere else aside from Halo Legends, uh, where he gets... Package. Yeah, we're true to form with all Spartans in Halo Legends. Spartans die a lot. And uh, he gets crushed. I believe he's the one who gets crushed between two ships, um, trying to rescue Halsey, which isn't a great end. But... Also, also trying to save Kelly from the Seraph fighters. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I my I wrote down in my notes that he was the one with the anime hair. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice to uh, get a reference to that. What I thought was a little more confusing was that they mention um, uh, Osman says, well. Naomi can technically leave when she wants, but only one Spartan's retired, and that she didn't get fully augmented, which the only Spartan I knew of before was Maria, so I'm guessing that's why she's able to have kids, because she wasn't, for whatever reason, fully augmented. It's really interesting. Why do you think a Spartan wouldn't have been augmented? Yeah, and it obviously augmented enough to field test the Mark VI armor. That's a shh moment right there. That's a it's a, an obvious mistake, or it's just a just this. Yeah, yeah. She knew that this character. I bet someone at three four three wanted her to reference the character, and uh-huh. they knew that the character had kids, so they knew that at some point she had to have not received certain augmentations. But as for why she didn't receive those augmentations, that doesn't. There's there's well there's room for more story there, which is interesting, but. Didn't they say that the Spartans have no drive for there it's it's not quite clear the 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 specific the specific uh symptom they mention is is sexual suppression which is one of those things that kind Can of mean anything? The... Well did they did they or did they not make they sterilize them that's the question I don't think they necessarily sterilize them I mean we don't it's it's one thing that they they talk about here and they bring up have brought up before but they they've never 
confirmed whether it's 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 something that can't be fixed or whatever. Um, where is it? Here we are. Um, suppressed sexual drive from catalytic thyroid implant. Suppressed sexual drive. That's it. Yeah. So they can still do it, but they just don't want to. Well, I mean, so it depends on how the. I mean, getting into biology depends on how exactly the sexual drive is suppressed. It could have secondary issues beyond yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I know. But, I know. So. That means it could also be reversed as well. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily set in stone. But either way, that was an interesting thing that they essentially did bring up Maria. Or I assume that they were meant to. But uh, from there, they they have this heart to heart time, Spartan bonding. Uh, Vaz and Stefan go to the ship where uh, the uh, Chol and the other the other jackals have arrived and cut in and been blocked by Sinks. And then, surprise, surprise, Stefan sort of betrays him and says, Aha! And so Sinks stops them from taking the ship again. And then Chol decides to detonate some torpedoes and scuttle the ship, and they have to bug out. Didn't like that. Didn't like the whole, let me just activate the torpedoes! Well, <laughs> what's weird about it, to me, is we're never exactly sure if the people in the engineering bay who detonate the torpedoes can get out or not. So they might have just committed suicide doing that. That and would make sense, especially for, for that species. What's... I, I think we sort of touched on it before, is that we don't actually even find out if they survive or not. They sort of drop the, they drop the uh, the thread of Chol and the other jackals pretty much immediately after they set them off. So they theoretically could get out because they they had a way out. Because um, sometimes Sinks or Sinks sometimes was giving them an option to get out, and uh, so were uh, Kilo Five. But we don't hear anything else about them. <laughs> which was kind of odd. Everyone escapes, and Stefan appears to die, but thank goodness, because he's got a Huragak who just installs slipspace drives for a rainy day, they manage to escape. And so the Pious Inquisitor gets destroyed, which I was kind of sad about. But they, they recover the, the Kilo 5, recovers the data that will possibly prove useful. We don't know. And then there's the... The denouement of um, Saren learns about her past, which wasn't great. And they, while well, she kind of uh, poo-poos the fact that Halsey helped her, it's kind of clear that she wouldn't be an admiral if she hadn't gotten picked for the Spartan program. So there's that. Um, and then Stefan sends uh, Vaz a present for Naomi, and it's the uh, little... Um, starscape thing that he got for her but she never got to see because she was abducted and that's kind of sad and touching and then there's the epilogue which i thought was probably the most interesting thing about the last part of the book because it gives black box who is supposed to be this super intelligent ai who still kind of irrationally hates halsey but it, it gives us a reason for that he's sort of subconsciously self-loathing because uh, we learn from the epilogue that his mind is based on a uh, member of the Spartan 2 project who commits suicide. Mm-hmm. Just uh, yeah, just another way off saying, 
Halsey was so bad. <laughs> but I mean, but for that part, he specifically says, "Hey, I was just one of these guys who was doing it, and the blame lies with us too." Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I can see where some people might read that as the final nail in the coffin at the end of the book. They couldn't even let the book go. No, the epilogue has to ram it home too, you know. It was so bad people killed themselves over it now. I mean, that's where that's where we talk about like Halsey's portrayal. And I think it's I mean, I think Isaac disagrees to a point, but I think it's entirely fair. Just heavy handed would be an apt word to describe it, because we do get not even that we need a character who agrees with Halsey, because we definitely get the alternate point of view in some respects because um i mean even stefan uh points out when everyone else is like well it's halsey's fault that this happened whatever he's like well who let her do that <laughs> <laughs> it kind of gets brought up there and uh even in black boxes um comments and in the suicide note at the end gets brought up hey he she's not the only one and she's getting scapegoated for this but it does get brought up more times than is necessary for the reader to understand, in my opinion. Here's a here's a here's a thing, right? What gets brought up more often? Which which ones were heavily hand heavily handled? Halsey and everyone everyone's dislike of her, or the fact that Stefan's unhappy about his daughter being taken. <laughs> which one is more hamfisted? I mean, I guess it's it's one of those things where it's entirely understandable and yet tiring at the same time because we're inside these people's heads and we know what's going on more than them that it's one of those things that like people get really annoyed if the characters don't know if you reveal something to the audience and the characters don't know about it for a long time it, the audience feels like the characters are stupid even if it doesn't necessarily make sense but because we've had it revealed it makes them feel stupid and out of touch. And I think it's the same thing that it totally makes sense that all these people are annoyed at Halsey because they've had their lives affected. If ruined is probably too strong a word for some people like, uh, Osmond, but it's still, we've had it for three books. It's, it's pretty much clear to us and we don't need it said so many times. I just think the thing that never gets touched on enough is the sheer level of guilt that Halsey did feel. Um, and again, it comes down to a matter of perspective. Like they talked about in the book, like um, Halsey's journal was a way to fully justify. Well, and, and, and I thought that was a nice use of Halsey's journal because we've read Halsey's journal and I think it's, it's, that's a, a really great piece of fiction. And well, I think it, it sucks that they kind of got Nyland to retcon his own work with it uh he did some really interesting character work with halsey there and meanwhile the oni people have it and they can only see well they're like oh well she's just a monster trying to justify herself in this which i don't think is at all what halsey was trying to do and we know more about her inner life so it makes more sense it's funny because they they see it as her mind camp they see this as, as 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 her admission of guilt over the terrible things that she does and her horrifying, cold, detached perspective of how evil can operate. That's how they see it. It's it's fascinating because 
just as fans, whenever we were given this this book, it was like awesome. A behind the scenes look at the Spartan process, you know, it was fantastic and it was detailed and handwriting bits missing, the drawings. It was it was really good, and to see how they've used it in such a fashion, I I don't even think it's it's wrong. Actually, I think it fits the context of the story the way they use it. But I can understand people who <laughs> can't read properly thinking, oh, look at them mocking that lovely journal. Well, and, and I think it's it's that we've, I know Danny and I have had this uh, talk a lot about it recently. And of course, with every Kilify book, people have argued about, again, whether or not Travis is, I mean, to the point where they're saying, well, Travis isn't a good writer because she, people hate Halsey. And I think that that's just bad reading comprehension, but it's an, another issue that I think plays into it is as players, we know that, well, whether or not you think the ends justify the means Halsey indirectly saved everyone because the master chief saved everyone. And if the master chief wasn't there, the flood would have taken over, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a lot easier for us to make this determination. Whereas the people who spent years in a, pretty harsh boot camp training got horribly scarred and put back together would have a understandably more limited viewpoint where to them, it, they're perfectly justified and it's hard to blame them to hate Halsey with all their heart. Even if it's, it is completely irrational and pointed out several times that it's, it's kind of nuts. I wish there had been a couple other Spartan two characters present other than Naomi because Naomi's perspective makes sense, but I wish there were some other ones there to have turned around and said, well, you know what? It actually kind of works for us and we kind of like it. I mean, I know they kind of did that with Osman, but that was a little drastic. It was like she literally had no other option. But like when you look at someone like John, who was basically a bully before he was abducted by the Spartan program, um, he enjoyed what he was doing after a certain point. That would be helpful because... It is, I mean, if only because we're hearing about this one perspective and it's a totally valid perspective and everyone, I think, makes sense for thinking it, even in a flawed human way. But yeah, like another perspective that we hadn't seen from the other Spartans would have been great. Like we got slightly little tiny bits of that from Fred in Glasslands, but it got glossed over partially because as we were talking about, Glasslands and the Thursday War suffered because they were not the books Travis was really interested in writing. <laughs> I think is the the ultimate uh, takeaway we can take from the trilogy. That's that's it's just a shame too. Um, yeah, and I mean that's not even to say that these are bad books. I think they're good to very good. And that's the thing. They're actually whether they're actually rather high up my list of uh, my general. Someone asked me they post my my favorite Hill books in order, and I'm not. I haven't given much thought to it before someone asked me to do it. And I didn't put much thought into it. I just reacted there and then, put what I thought uh, was my order of books. But uh, yeah, the K5 trilogy was, was higher up than I was expecting after yeah, I finished writing that list. Same for me, but I think that's because, uh, at least from my end of it, she handles the universe so realistically. And and some of the other authors, you can tell when they're writing, it, it still feels like a fictional universe, whereas when Karen Travis does it, it's just all the details that we know exist and all the separate games are there. They're all cohesive. They're all part of a whole large unit that is this fantastic universe. Well, to give credit to the, the other authors, though, I think that's also a factor of Travis coming in as 
an author when 343 made it clear that they wanted to bridge all this canon together. And I think it's also just 10 years down the line or whatever when we're talking about whatever new Halo books and games are out. I think Travis is still going to be divisive in part because A, Nyland put so much groundwork into the series. B, he never got to finish off quote-unquote finish uh, what he started with Ghost of Onyx, and C, because Nyland and Travis are two very different authors who approach the same stuff very differently. Like I said, there is... I can only think of... Um, I didn't go back and, and do a full count, but I can only think of one human death and like a half dozen jackals dying in this book. It's very light on combat, period. It's very character-centered. It's not techno-babble or heavily technical. Like you said, people are running around with phones. Whereas Nyland is very much more interested in these action scenes, this big space combat. And they're just completely different, I guess, catering to two completely different uh, audiences who don't necessarily react well to the other stuff. Yes. So, I guess... I had some stray thoughts. So, ultimately, don't agree with the people complaining about the Halsey hate, but I totally think they're justified in, in complaining about the presentation. Travis is not the perfect writer. No one is. She, there's, there's plenty of things that she's mishandled or didn't handle the best possible way it could have been handled, but like overall, she's a solid writer. And I think a lot of the baggage that people attach to her, uh, they don't let that go. She, she's bringing that with her to, to Halo. And the problem with Star Wars was is that it wasn't her fault there again. You know what I mean? Like she was told to write the story she's told to write and include facts and figures that, that are present in the universe and there's franchise people who tell her these things that you have to include these facts and figures as they are. You know what I mean? And that's that's the process of, of writing a book in a in a franchise. And it's the same with Halo. She has to include certain plot points, certain characters, certain facts and figures that make up the, the universe. And then she gets chastised for it, unfairly. And it's it's ridiculous. And I, I swear it's the most stupid thing. You see these this crap follow follow her and besmirch her like that and and an extension disrupt Halo because instead of people getting interested in the fiction you have people just writing it off because it's, oh, they don't care about canon anymore. What's this Halsey hate? I love Halsey. Doctor, Mother of the Spartan Project. Why are they hating on her? Three books of hating on her? You know what I mean? People who just say this and think, oh, what the hell? And as far as I remember, on Gaff, uh Frank O'Connor was trying to, not outright say, but heavily hint that we hadn't got the full story. We were getting half the picture. That there was more story to tell that would even this whole thing out with her. And I, I took that face value, like, ah, fair enough. The Kilo Fire thing setting it up, that makes sense, dealing with these issues. Spartan Ops has to put her in a certain place, I understand that. Maybe afterwards, it's the after Halo 4 stuff we'll get to see, maybe leading into the next game, where's this other side, you know what I mean? Well, I think I think also it's it it ties into um Revenant on uh, HBO sort of talked about how it all tie a lot of it ties into the fact that the universe has gone 
not to say darker as Isaac might say, but it's, there are, there's still plenty of good guys, quote unquote, but it's a lot more nuanced universe where there are less clear cut us versus them, uh, stories. And that's just a consequence of where they're taking it, where the war is over, the fighting hasn't stopped. And so I think it's, it's also a reaction, not just to Travis's storytelling choices, but also the direction of the entire universe uh, post Halo 3. I don't know. I, I can understand where people will be disappointed that this doesn't present anything new. The novel doesn't give us any new content. It really it gives us it gives us a lot and also not a whole lot. I think is a fair criticism. It doesn't continue on the main story in any meaningful way. There, there's no more world building in this. Okay, novel. okay. Well, there, there's there's world building. There's not. I wouldn't say plot building so much. It's if I think you could you if we were going to. I guess this sort of gets into nitpicks with these series as a whole. Um, yeah. There's and like a lot of it, we could probably say is because there's they were sort of setting up two different stories in the first two books. And then this one is really the, the meat of the, the whole arc. But yeah, you're, you're right from a, a, from the standpoint of this, this series alone and what we've seen thus far, Telcam was kind of a little redundant. And especially in, in this book, my, my big complaint with Glasslands was that, um, we got these great new characters in Osman and and Black Box, um, and Phillips, and we got more of of uh, Phillips and Black Box in Pri- uh, not Primordium, sorry, uh, Thursday War. But the ODSTs in the first book weren't really fleshed out for me, and that was solved in the Thursday War. But here we get diddly squat of Devereaux. She's pretty much irrelevant. Background character, yeah. Yeah, and same thing with Phillips, but he at least got his moment to shine earlier, so she kind of feels like a wasted character by the end of this, because all she does is mostly a faux hammer routine and <laughs> and uh, some some comments about how uh, Phillips has the eyes for her. So that was, that was, that was one of my... When it gets down to, like, I loved... Overall, I loved this trilogy, but there were some weird, there were definitely some weird uh, quibbles I had with it. I don't know. That's just me. Like, how would you, how would you guys rate overall the series as a whole? I think it was really good. Like I said, at, at perspective building, at showing people who maybe haven't delved as deep as the three of us and the other people who are listening to this um, into what it would actually be like to inhabit the Halo universe. But I will say, like, from a story standpoint, from a world-building standpoint, I felt a little underwhelmed the whole time. I really liked the perspective, and it felt like the perfect continuation of this world that we already kind of love and inhabit in our heads. But beyond that, I mean, that was that was the biggest attribute to me. I think, it's, I think a big takeaway from this is the fact that I think it's the first real example of uh, showing us a new state of the Halo universe. It's not just us living in our colonies and the aliens and the alien planets. It's 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 a mixed bag out there. Uh, you have your glassed worlds, you have your preserved worlds where everything's just fine, and then you have these oddball places where you get everybody. 
you know, when you get these different mixtures of races and whatnot, there's jackals and there's and there's grunts and there's humans. You know what I mean? It gives us a bigger perspective that we can have peace. You know what I mean? We can we can get along fine with these aliens. You know what I mean? We just have to know what we're doing. Or like with the elites, we get along fine with them as long as we're giving them weapons. You know what I mean? There's a possibility there for something greater. Humanity has a role to play, which is deeper and more granular than it's been in the past. Um, and I think we're beginning to see the fruits of that. I, I welcome that. I, I've always wanted to explore the, the insurrectionist movements. and um, I don't think we'll ever get to see that properly, but the fact that this book gives us so much more possibilities for new sort of conflicts involving humanity and little facts about the insurrectionists being just as bad as the evil empire that the UNSC was made out to be with the with that sort of detail I, I find refreshing. I, I, I mop up that stuff. So I I just enjoy it. I enjoy it, I enjoy it a lot. I think there's more potential now in the universe for more things presented to the to the reader, to the fan. But there you go. I'm glad it's art. I'm also glad it's out of the way. Give me the next one, please. You know? On on that subject, do you think that there's anything in these books that's going to set up for what we see in the future? or? Well, the human, in, the human commanding the elite in the comic, that's... But after you read this book, it's like, yeah, well, maybe. I can see that, maybe. Some kind of weird thing going on, maybe, yeah, somehow. What Danny is referring to is the Escalation comic. Uh, Ooh, which is currently ongoing. Yeah, I think yeah. it's really interesting right now because with the Halo 5 trilogy over, the most progressive thing that we have in the Halo universe is Escalation. Mm-hmm. It's, it takes place like the most forward in time of any other story. And if you can get past the art, and that's in the big F, by the way, a big, big F. If you can get past the art, you might actually see something there there's the next few months the next chapters that they've said are coming out the storyline like there's a hint there's like major spoilers here uh there's hints that maybe possibly there could be the spirit of fire returning oh that's complete fan theory based on some cryptic stuff that's saying but if you look at the covers the covers are actually expanding bringing in some of the extended universe stuff like we see a vulture uh, and one of the covers uh, that's coming out shortly, and another one we see, we call those stupid booster frames they used in the in Legends, they used in space. A big mag- it's a frame they ride on, so they chase bad guys on like a Aren't space they just bike. Booster frames? They probably are. Yeah. Well, one of the front covers shows you a spark, not a space bike, and anyway, so it does. So they're bringing in all these different elements, and like I said, like the, we we've seen the different. Um, the different banshees side by side, as well, and that. So it's it's the Hill Three banshee specifically, and the Hill Four banshee. And uh, there's a, a lot of little moments. And if you just ignore the fact that Charles Xavier's morphed into Lord Hood, you know what I mean? It's 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 just a bit much. But uh, whatever, it's it's there. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't stop me from enjoying it. And I'm happy to finally see the Arbiter not be in a little hole in the ground going, help me, help me. You know, that was nice. Well, and and, and Escalation follows up on the the plot threads from the Thursday War where 
yeah, the Arbiter ends up at least reuniting a sizable portion of the elites. Um, and but no mention of Telcam, who probably you'll never hear of ever again. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> sort of sum up. That's all I've got. Alright, so thanks for listening to the Forward Unto Dawn podcast. Uh, you can rate or subscribe via iTunes, uh, leave a comment on the episode page, or join the discussion on the forums at assembly.forwardunto.com. Uh, you can also follow Forward Unto Dawn on Twitter, YouTube at Forward Dawn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.